we come in the story to Jars of Clay, the book of Judges. And oh my goodness, what a ride this book is. Uh, I remember as a, as a young Christian, as a young man, this book was written for 12-year-old boys. I'm telling you, that's what it was written for. It is a guy movie through and through. Now, ladies, hang in there. Next week is the Book of Ruth, the chick movie comes next week, okay? So guy movie this week, chick movie. I mean, next week, oh, her heart's broken, but then she meets the love of her life, and they ride off into the sunset, you know? I mean, next week's chick movie, okay? But this week, is guy movie and ah what what and and this is going to be a PG rated sermon but it's an R rated book I am telling you we put this map up here there's a totally cool map where there's the 12 judges and six of them are major I don't know how you can tell it they're in red or maybe it comes off on this screen as black but then uh, the blue ones are the minor ones so 12 judges all together six minor that are in blue six major uh, that are in red but let me just tell you some of these stories Shamgar at the top See him? He killed a bunch of the enemy with an ox goad. How cool is that? And then you kind of come down. Gideon, who beats the enemy with torches and deception. Jephthah, uh, he makes a rash vow and pays the price for it. Uh, You keep going down. Deborah, who was a phenomenal uh, female leader there, uh, one of the judges. Oh, and the best part of that story is that General Sisera, the enemy, is running from the enemy. Jael, this other woman, a housewife, leads him into the tent and says, oh, rest here. When he falls asleep, she takes a tent peg and drives it through his head with a hammer. I mean, I remember as a kid saying, the Bible is awesome. It is such a great book. Oh, it gets even better. Ehud. See Ehud right underneath Deborah? He goes in. He's left-handed. I'm left-handed. How many of you here are left-handed? Well, because he's left-handed, they don't check. Let's see how that is. You'd have your dagger here, so you put your left hand here. So they check this side, but they don't check this side because it was so unusual to be left-handed. So he gets by the guards. He goes in. He assassinates Eglon, the king. All right. Eglon is so overweight that the Bible says the hilt of the dagger got enfolded by the fat of his stomach, and he couldn't pull it back out again. I remember as a kid thinking, this is Great stuff. This is really good. Um, Samson, do I need to say anything on Samson? Kills a bunch of people with the jawbone of a donkey. Othniel is the baby brother to Caleb. You know, Caleb and Joshua that we studied a couple of weeks ago. Well, Caleb's baby brother was Othniel, and he was the first of the judges. So it is a guy movie. Hang with me, ladies. Next week, yours is coming. Now, Israel's two mistakes after conquering the land. Number one, they did not teach their children about God and his great acts of deliverance. And by the way, if you have the story with you, it works out really well because you can just pick it up with chapter 8. And that's where we pick it up with Judges chapter 2, verse 7, if you're in your Bibles or you're in the study outline. But that's where we begin with chapter 8. You just begin at the beginning of chapter 8, and that's what we're going to be going through uh, here today. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. They had personally seen and experienced all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. And so they followed him throughout their lifetimes. You know, this is such an important thing. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. Each of us have to 
personally have that encounter with God and commit our lives to Jesus Christ. On the back of your program, you'll see it's as simple as ABC, and it's three simple steps and a little suggested prayer to pray, to open up your heart and receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And, and you know, a wonderful thing has happened to our family. Uh, my son, uh, John, our son John, uh, got engaged to Natalia, um, uh, uh, who he met in, in Peru seven years ago. They got engaged on, on uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day, in front of the whole Valentine's banquet. Nothing like, my son is like, shy in this area. He did it in front of over 100 people. We just couldn't believe that that happened, you know, that he did it in front of so many people. And so uh, Natalia is a pediatrician in Peru, and they met in Bible school and in the church they went to when she first came to Christ uh, back in Lima, uh, Peru, um, about six years ago when John was in Bible school there. And then they reconnected on Facebook. Does that sound familiar? About a year ago. And the rest is history, and, and they are getting married. And, and Natalia, because because she came to Christ about seven, you know, just within recent memory, within about seven years ago, she is just on fire for Jesus. It has been so good for our family because all the rest of us have came to Christ 10 or more years ago. In the case of Kimberly and me, it's been decades. And, and the thing about Natalia that's so contagious for our family is she remembers what Egypt was like, Okay. She remembers what the wilderness wanderings were like. Uh, she wasn't, you know, born into the promised land. She hasn't been in the promised land for years. It is a living memory as to the incredible difference Jesus made in her life. And so she is so on fire that it has just been a blessing to the rest of our family to, to remember that first love, to remember uh, seeing the great things the Lord has done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Just what Pastor Brian challenged us about. Then the Israelites, because it was a secondhand faith, not a firsthand faith, or if it was a firsthand faith, it was a forgotten faith. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. This whole thing about transferring our faith to the next generation. Um, this last week, Dottie Milhan, who part of our 945 service, was here probably most recently about a month ago, went home to be with the Lord on Wednesday. Her husband is Jim Milhan, longtime football coach at Azusa Pacific, and what a godly woman. And Pastor Randy and I went over to their house just a couple of weeks ago, and we're planning out her funeral, and I'm telling you, she was laughing. I, I've never seen, I mean, we were talking about her going to heaven like she was going to take a trip to New York City in a couple of weeks. It just felt that way. It was just like so normal, and here's what I want, here's what I don't want. And, 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 and as we talked to this godly woman, something came up that just was so impressive to me. They have 14 uh, either children or in-laws, like son-in-law, daughter-in-laws, or grandchildren, 14 altogether. So Dottie, through the years, every year, would read through the Bible cover to cover with thinking of one child or grandchild in mind as she did it and make notes particularly to that particular child or grandchild from cover to cover in the Bible and then give it to him at the end of the year. And she's done this 14 times. And I just thought to myself, what a marvelous application of this principle that we need to pass on our faith. And, and maybe that's not the thing God will lead you to do, but just being creative, thinking, 
How can we pass this thing on? I remember my dad had a plaque up in his office, and it was from uh, John, um, which John? Second John, I think it is, where it says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. And so whenever you walked in my dad's office, you knew that the thing he cared about more than money, more than prestige, more than anything, more than education, the thing he cared about most is, are my children walking in the truth? You knew that was the highest priority uh, him, he had uh, for us. Then the second thing they did not do is they did not drive out all the Canaanites. And this led to the sin of idolatry. Archaeologists have uncovered so many idols. Uh, here are a sampling of them uh, from the Canaanites. And the fact that they didn't drive them completely out is kind of like defeating Nazi Germany and leaving the Nazis still in power. Can you imagine going to the, all the effort of World War II, defeat the Nazi Germany, but leave the Nazis in power? And that's basically what Israel did. They went to all this effort to conquer the promised land, but then they still left the influence of the Canaanites. And it, and it came up and bit them in the end, or it didn't bite them, but it bit their children. Verse 12, they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. You know what we're seeing in America today? We're seeing the canonization of the American church. The canonization of the American church being overly influenced by the culture around us. Uh, how we begin to live our lives for temporary things, the pleasures and the entertainments of today rather than the eternal reward of tomorrow. Um, we uh, begin uh, as a nation to uh, adopt the materialism of the culture around us. And that's why this luncheon for legacy is so important. It combats that whole kind of gain more, accumulate more, enjoy more kind of thing that, of the culture around us and says, let's leave a legacy in this lifetime and the next uh, for eternity. They, the Israelites began to ad adopt the sexual values of the Canaanites around them. And we see that in the church today. Uh, they began to view pornography you know, Peter Wilson and I, whenever we pick archaeological things to show here on Sunday morning, um, some, you know, I'm telling you, from Canaan, most of, you can't even show them in church. They're so graphic. And we're like, this thing is from 3,500 years ago, but we're not showing that in church because it's just too graphic. And so the Canaanites were fully engaged in pornography, and the Israelites began to view pornography like the Canaanites around them do, and, and like the body of Christ does, like the culture around us. There was an apathy towards the things of God, and we need to fight against the canonization of the body of Christ. Uh, Paul warns us in Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you, how do you renew your mind? Um, I was, went to Kimberly's class. There are many life groups that are doing the story and drilling down deeper than what we do um, here on Sunday morning. And Kimberly's just teaching a great class on Wednesday night. So I attended her class. And, and it's so funny that, you know, so many times in a sermon, I'll tell a story or something. It's something I've never told her. And she learns things about me from sitting here in the sermons. And I did the same thing. I'd never heard her say this before, but she said this Wednesday night, when, when somebody hurts you or you're going through a problem or something like that, run to the throne, not your phone. Isn't that great? 
run to the throne, not to the phone. When somebody got, you know, hurts you, the, we run to the phone to gossip about that person or to complain to them about that person. Take that thing to the throne, not to the phone. Then another one I've heard is get your face in the book. Get your face off of Facebook and into the book. And the way you transform, your, you renew your mind is to get your face in the book and to run to the throne and not to the phone. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, the two reasons that God raises up the judges, and by the way, when you think of a judge, what do you usually think of? Maybe you think of Judge Judy. I don't know if you ever watched that show. Um, I read something where she's like the highest paid person on TV or something like that. It's amazing. Judge Judy is like the, the queen of TV, you know, king and queen combined. Or, or maybe, I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember Flip Wilson. Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Or maybe your idea of a judge is something like this. You know, maybe that's your idea of a judge. Um, I've told you my story on this before a few years back. I had jury duty in Covina, and I normally wasn't in that courtroom. I'd do jury duty elsewhere, but did jury duty, and, and I got picked for the, the jury panel. And so they ask you a number of questions. You've done, seen this if you've done jury duty. And, and the final questions after they ask you all these questions is, do you know any of the attorneys in, in the courtroom? No, I didn't know any of the attorneys. The judge is asking me these questions now. And, and by the way, I, I left this out. I had been admiring this judge. She was the sharpest judge. I was just sitting there thinking, this is the epitome of what a judge ought to be. It's she was so incredibly sharp and just a master of her courtroom and so just gracious and, and sharp at the same time. Just really impressed with this judge. So she asked me, do you know any of the attorneys in the courtroom? No, don't know any of them. Uh, do you know any of the defendants? No, don't know any of the defendants. And, and she asked me about the court. And finally she says, do you know me? And I'm like, oh, no. I said, no, I don't. She goes, I go to your church. <laughs> And the whole courtroom did what you just did. I turned 20 shades of red. The courtroom explodes in laughter. And then she looks at the courtroom and goes, it's a really big church, she said. It's a really big church. And so I felt so bad that Kimberly and I took her and her husband out to dinner afterwards. You know, not, not during the case, okay? You know, they would get us all thrown into jail. But, uh, you know, after the case was all over, I said, look, I feel so embarrassed. Like, can, I can we take you guys out to dinner? So anyway, but what were the judges? They were really a combination of a judge. They would determine things of justice, but they were also the leader of the country, the governor of the country. They were like law enforcement, the sheriff of the country. They were the armed forces. Uh, the judge would be like the general for the country. They were the representative of God. They were also like the priest, prophet, and pastor uh, to the country uh, as well, all rolled into one. Now, here's the most important thing we can learn from judges. It's a pattern for what we ought to be doing in our lives. All right. Uh, when, when they sinned, they didn't stop being the children of Israel. They were still children of Israel. But they went through hard times when they sinned. It disconnected their fellowship with God, which led to bad results. And that's a picture of the daily confession that we need to, to go through. This, this cycle that I'm going to show you by the end of the message is something I do several times a day. You know, I think something I shouldn't think, or I do something I... That doesn't mean I'm not a child of God. The moment I say something, or think something, or do something, I shouldn't do. In the same way, your children don't cease to be your children when they do wrong, right? Uh, but, but is there a disconnection and fellowship between you and your child that needs to be restored through repentance and confession? Yes. And so this, the book of Judges, really teaches us this daily spiritual habit and discipline we need to do. 
The four movements in a repeated cycle or pattern in Judges. It's, it's uh, repeated with the six major Judges six times in the book of Judges. Movement number one is sin. The people turn their backs on gods and begin to worship God and begin to worship pagan gods. Next page of your study, study outline. Movement number two is oppression. Because they sin, God removes his hand of protection and allows surrounding nations to oppress his people. Now let me ask you a hard question. Much of the time, hard things in our life are just simply because life is hard. And, and it's hard following Christ. You know, it doesn't mean that all of our problems go away when we follow him. But some of the problems in our life we've brought on because of sin. We brought on ourselves because we haven't put God first in that area. Maybe we've put him first in every other area except for our finances. And then surprise, surprise, we struggle in our finances. We put him number one in every other area of our lives, but our um, relationships, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife, marriage. Um, and then lo and behold, we have struggles in that particular area. And, and so let me just lovingly challenge myself. Let me look in the mirror and say this. That could it be that some of the trouble, the oppression I have, is because of sin? And so in verse 14, in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. It hasn't happened for many years, but they're, okay, okay, forget that, football fans, that was just in there for you, okay, I'm so sorry. And Raider fans, don't slash my tires in the parking lot ever, it's over. I, I, I mean, I know, I know, I'm going to get myself beat up afterwards. I'm going to have to have Pastor Brian escort me to my car after the service is over. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Boy, it's a, it's a, I'd rather have less with God's hand of blessing on me than more with the hand of God removed from his hand of blessing. Just as he had sworn to them, and they were in great distress. He says in verse 22 that I will use these them, these Canaanite nations, to test Israel and see whether they'll keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. Now, God uses six pagan nations to oppress his people. Uh, the, first of all, the Mesopotamians oppressed them for eight years. And the Moabites oppressed them for 18 years. The Canaanites oppressed them for 20 years. The Midianites oppressed them for seven years. Uh, then um, uh, the Ammonites uh, oppressed them for 18 years. And then finally, the Philistines oppressed them for 40 years. Their yoke is finally thrown off when we get to uh, David here in, in a, I guess, a couple of weeks or so. We'll go with David and see how God threw off the yoke of the Philistines finally under King David. Now, this period in Israel's history is 330 years long, but they spent 111 of those 330 years being oppressed and disciplined by God because they had turned their back on God. And just think about what a waste of time and purpose that was. I mean, God loves us so much as his children that he will discipline us to get us back on the right track again. But doesn't it make sense just to stay on the right track? Why is it we're serious about God when times are hard and then we're not so serious when times are good? And wouldn't we fulfill so much more our purpose that God has called us to if we would serve him with equal enthusiasm when times are good than when times are bad? They lost a third, over a century of time, 
Just being disciplined by God to get back on track once again. Now, movement number three is repentance. The oppressed people cry out to God for help. They turn or return to the Lord. They make a decision to do a 180-degree change in direction. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And so God raises up a judge who serves as a deliverer. Othniel delivers them from the Mesopotamians. Ehud delivers them from the Moabites. Deborah delivers them from the Canaanites. Gideon delivers them from the Midianites. Jephthah delivers them from the Ammonites. And then Samson delivers them from the Philistines. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them, they quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. And the movement number four is deliverance, but then it would go back to sin again. Sin, repentance, let's see, what did it go? Sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance. Six times, over and over again. Now the final point I want to make um, before we apply that whole confession cycle to our everyday Christian lives is that the judges were flawed human beings. (laughs) And that is like the understatement of the day. If I've ever exaggerated anything ever, I just balanced it out by saying that. The judges were flawed human beings. If you read the judges, you'll see what I mean. But, But so are we. And isn't it a good thing that God still uses flawed human beings? Anybody want to say amen to that? Paul writes, but we have this treasure. That's Jesus. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's where the title comes from. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You know, if you're seeking after God, if, if if you're wondering whether to follow Jesus or not, you know, son of God, uh, what are we going to do? We're going to change the world. And, and Jesus is so attractive to people. And, and people are drawn to Jesus. Please don't be put off by the jars of clay that this treasure comes in. Please, when you see a hypocritical jar of clay or a flawed jar of clay or an obnoxious jar of clay, just remember when you meet Jesus, he's awesome, but then you meet his family. And, 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 it's a, and this treasure comes in jars of clay. And let me just encourage you, don't miss the greatest treasure in life because it just happens to come in a jar of clay. Look past the jar of clay to the treasure. And remember, God wants it that way to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and it's not from us. Now, there are two judges that illustrate flawed humanity. And, and because there's only three judges, out of the 12 judges, the story only covers three of them. Deborah, Gideon, and Samson. And I just put in your notes there so you can read about 
the, the two of them, Samson and Gideon, because typical, typical, the girl, Deborah, has no flaws. I mean, is that like, guys, is that like typical? So typical. I mean, if you know anything about our pastors, there's Pastor Tomiko, there's Pastor Lisa, there's Pastor Lois, and then the knuckleheads that are on staff along with them. And the girls are always perfect, and the guys are always, you know, somewhat flawed. And so, so at any rate, Deborah, there's nothing to say about her flaws because she really didn't show any, at least within the Scripture. Um, I'm sure she wasn't perfect, but there's nothing to write about in Scripture. Uh, there's Gideon who God used because he was the weakest and he had the smallest army because God whittled it down. But let's just finish with Samson, okay? Because he is a juicy reservoir of flaws, you know. Um, Peter Coppenrath, who's our lead guitarist right here, uh, he and his wife Vita, who's uh, an accountant, they came in this morning. They said, hey, got a good Samson joke for you. I said, great. And he said, um, there's this guy who was the, man's, the world's strongest man. He was at a circus. World's strongest man, it said. And what he would do with his audience is he'd take a lemon and he'd squeeze it as hard as he could and get, squeeze every drop out of that lemon. And then he'd say, if anybody can come up here and squeeze another drop out, I'll give you $1,000. And all these people came and nobody could squeeze another drop out. Finally, this one kind of ordinary looking guy comes up and he takes the lemon, he squeezes six drops out of it. And the world's strongest man says, that's incredible. What's your profession anyway? Are you a lumberjack? Are you a mechanic? Use your hands? I mean, what is your profession? He goes, well, uh, I work for the IRS. <laughs> that has nothing to do with the message, but it just was a good joke. So Samson reveals the secret because he's weak, because he's flawed. He reveals the secret of his strength to Delilah and because of his pride and immaturity. Now, before we kick back into one last worship song, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Now, let's apply this cycle to us. And like I said, this is a spiritual discipline. You can do this every day. Um, first of all, we sin, and, and, and the Holy Spirit makes us aware that we haven't kept God on the throne of our lives. So then we're oppressed. Our fellowship with God and others is broken. So think about that one thing right now that happened this week or happened this morning. And now our fellowship with God and others is broken. So now we repent and confess it. So let's confess that thing before the Lord right now. And now we're restored through the blood of Jesus. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And now know that we experience deliverance. Our joy is restored and our fruitfulness and our effectiveness for Christ once again. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son purifies us from all sins. We confess this and regain fellowship with you once again. In Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen. Hey, let's stand up. Let's worship for a few more minutes.